Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. Wouldn't it be great to be able to recognize if somebody was telling you the truth? Or what if you could decode the hidden messages while dating? Or if you're a public speaker, the skills of knowing if your message was well-received. Then there are those of you that simply want to be able to watch celebrity interviews or depositions and know if that person is being truthful. Our guest today is behavior and body language expert Scott Rouse. He's critiqued the body language of politicians, celebrities, criminals, and serial killers. In addition, he's been recently creating the patient engagement loop where he helps healthcare professionals with nonverbal keys to make patients happier and attain a better treatment outcome. Don't go anywhere. You're going to enjoy this segment, and I'm telling you the truth here, or am I? Stay tuned and find out. It all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Joining us today is world-renowned behavior and body language expert. He holds multiple certificates in advanced interrogation skills, and he's been trained alongside the FBI, Secret Service, U.S. military intelligence, and the Department of Defense. His advanced skills in nonverbal communication have made him the go-to expert for many Fortune 500 CEOs, doctors, attorneys, and executives. He's part of the popular YouTube channel, The Behavior Panel, which analyzes everyone from criminals, politicians, to celebrities. In addition, he's a regular on the Dr. Phil Show and the author of the best-selling book, Understanding Body Language. Welcome to the show, Scott Rouse. Wow, you make me sound so cool. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you can drink. You know, I thoroughly enjoyed your book, and I never miss an episode of the Behavioral Panel. And you know I mean that sincerely because of the vocal tone and truthful inflections in my voice, right? You there you go. It. You nailed it. <laughs> there, you, there you go. That's great. Share with us first, what sparked your interest in reading people's body language? Were you lied to so often growing up that you just finally had enough? <laughs> no, it actually started uh, when I was a little kid. My father's a doctor. And at the time, we lived in a little bitty town called Louisa, Kentucky. And in Louisa, they, he was at one point the only doctor there. There were maybe 2,000 people in the whole town. And one day I went to the doctor. I went to, or I remember when it was my, my mom would come and get my brother and sister and I. And, and when I was in the first grade or the second grade, and we would go down to the walk down the street a couple of blocks to the hospital where he was the doctor. And we would go in his office and we'd eat in this thing. It was, it was just a big house, a very large house. So they had the, the uh, closet made. So it was sort of like his office. So we'd go sit in there in his office and eat lunch. And I looked out the door and there were in the little waiting room and two of my buddies from my class were in there. It was uh, Billy Elkins and Robert Bellamy. And I asked my dad, I said, what are they doing here? And he leaned over and he looked down and he said, well, Robert's got an earache and he's been up all night with his mom. He looked over at Billy and he said, and Billy's pretending like he's sick and he, so he didn't have to go to school or something. I said, well, how do you know that as a kid? I don't know how you say it as a seven-year-old. And he said, well, let's take a look at Robert. You know, he's got his hand on his ear, which, you know, basic. And, uh, and he's leaning on his mom, leaning against his mom. That's the only thing on his mind right now is that his ear hurts. Now look at his mother. She doesn't look the way she normally looks. Usually she's dressed up and has on makeup and her hair's done. I was like, yeah. He said, that lets me know she's been up all night with him. And I said, well, what about Billy? And he said, well, Billy, let's take a look at him. He's, he was sitting on this little bench. He said, see how his, lean, his legs are swinging back and forth? I said, yeah. He said, see how he's looking at that little magazine? It was like highlights or something. I said, yeah. 
He doesn't look too worried, does he? I said, no. He said, now, look at his uh, mother. And I, we looked at his mother. I said, she's got her hairs done. She's got makeup on. Looks like she's had time this morning to get up and looks rested. Now, what's going to happen next is his mother's going to lean over and say something to him. And you see how his eyebrows are up like that? And I said, yeah. He said, well, when she leans over and talks to him, his eyebrows are going to go down and make a frowny face. And then she's going to, he's going to, she's going to say something to him. He's going to say something back to her, and she'll pat him on the arm. And then he'll go back to looking at the little magazine, and his eyebrows will go up. Well, within two minutes, that happened. And I thought my dad was magic. And I said, well, how do you do this? How you say it as a kid? I don't know, but that's, I remember the thought process. <laughs> and that's where he started teaching me when I was a little kid. My, my dad started going through it in the, from the, his medical experience in understanding human behavior. So that's where, I, that's where I got into it and just never let up. And you probably looked at him and said, you know, I saw those same deceitful tactics in your face when you told me the Santa Claus was real and the Easter Bunny. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's so. great. Let me ask you, so I know in your book you share several components to deciphering if somebody's being honest. I know there's no absolutes, which you mention often, but if you had to pick like one or two signs of deception that you consider the most accurate, which one would you pick? The most accurate, keeping in mind there are no absolutes, I would say when someone does what's called a single shoulder shrug, where just one single shoulder comes up for about a, I don't know, a third of a second, and their chin goes toward that shoulder. Most of the time, quite often, you'll see that I, I look for that because when that happens, most of the time I've ever seen that happen, it's been the person's being deceptive. That's what, that's the first thing I look for. And if they keep too much eye contact while they're answering me, they don't blink a lot, they're answering just dead eyeing me, then I, I take that as, because what most people are on the impression that if you break eye contact, you're lying. And since everybody knows that, the person most likely, the person lying to you knows that as well. So they want to keep looking at you. You keep that in mind, but keep the other part in mind where their brain wants to keep looking at you to make sure you believe them. So those are the top two for me. Those are the top. Yeah. And I know you talk, you talk a lot about blink rate. What does blinking tell you when it comes to sincerity? Well, it just tells you if you see a lot of blinking, that just that's a sign of stress. That indicates, it denotes there's some stress. And it just lets you know there's an issue there. It doesn't mean they're being honest or um, being deceptive. It just lets you know that there's something there they're thinking about. There's something going on there. A lot of times we look at that as, as what's called an eye block, eye blocking, because you almost right. close your eyes as that information is coming in or, or it's leaving your mouth as you say it. So why we do that, who knows? But that's usually, I see that, that lets me know there's an issue there with that person. In that yeah, time. I know in your book, yeah, you share in your book about Bill Clinton's blink rate increased rapidly when he said, I did not have sexual relationships with that woman, Monica Lewinsky. And let me ask, is it hard for somebody to fake a blink rate if they know in advance that could kind of give them away that they're stressed or maybe being a little de deceptive? Well, you could. I'm sure you could. There's a lot of these things you could try to fake. But keeping up that act, that fake stuff, there'll be all. That's why you can't just look at one cue and say, "Oh, I see that," and he's doing this or she's doing that. Right. Because you look for clusters, you know, three or four things. Then you make a decision. This may be deceptive. It may be truthful. Then you take that group and you put them all together as you go through your questioning process, and you make the decision then whether you think they're being uh, honest or not. Yeah, I know during your behavior analysis of Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard trial, you shared the importance of reviewing their baseline, which can be a key determining factor in figuring out who's being deceptive and who's being truthful. Share with the listeners what is baseline and why is that so crucial when accurately reading somebody's body language? 
all right, let's say you and I sit down to talk and I'm supposed to, and I'm there to talk to you because there's, so you own a jewelry store and there, or you work for a jewelry store and there's some, some uh, jewelry missing, right? And so as we're talking, what I do is I come in and I'm just normal old, hey, what's going on? Like we're waiting for about 10 minutes. And I talk to you, ask some questions. Hey, so how long have you been here? Where's the best place to eat around here? Do you know where such and such is? Have you ever done this or that? And get you to talk. And I get to see what you look like when you're not worried about being arrested or going to prison or being caught for stealing jewels or something. And I see how you act normally. And then as we go forward and I start asking questions, I can tell if, you be, if you're, the key is, is understanding whether the person is, is uncomfortable or comfortable and that, that little space in between becoming uncomfortable or becoming comfortable. If you're really comfortable and you become uncomfortable, what have I said or what have I done that starts making you go down that road where you're uncomfortable? So those are the cues that I start looking for. Yeah, and I know with uh, Johnny Depp, uh, a lot of people said he was so slow and meticulous, so he's thinking about what he's going to say. And a lot of people said, well, oh, could that mean he's trying to think before? And you said, no, well, look at his old interviews. He's, he's done that. That's, that's part of his baseline. Right. So it's important to know, know what he's like before he's being interviewed or interrogated. That's so interesting. Are actors, I'm curious, are they harder to read because they're skilled in pretending and altering their body language on set? Well, you know, quite often you'll see, you'll, you'll find that the body language they're exhibiting while they're acting really isn't what you should be exhibiting when that's going on in real life. There are a few, there are, Billy Bob Thornton's my favorite actor because that he never misses anything. It's all there. And, and as corny as it sounds for a guy, Brad Pitt's really good at that too. And Robert Duvall, those are the top three for me that really, I don't know if they study body language or what, but theirs looks really good, just like it should. Most of them do, but it's hard to go to court and act something like that. As you've seen Amber Heard trying to act. She's trying to act, and yeah. it's not working. Yeah, and she's done that uh, that shoulder shrug thing a lot that you mentioned. I've picked up on that, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good, yeah. That's your, it's, it's yeah. really obvious. Speaking of all, let's, a lot of these actors, they get Botox. I'm curious, does that make it more difficult to read their body language because it really inhibits a lot of their facial expressions? Well, until you, uh, once you realize that's what, what's happening, you still see about a quarter inch down from the hairline. You can see movement. But, of course, you can't see the important things like, the uh how wrinkled the, the brow gets or the clobellas and almost between the uh, eyebrows they're just above that area there when they're uh, thinking or um feeling sad or feeling some emotion so you you sort of take that in, into consideration you look for all the other stuff that lets you know that as well it's important to keep in mind that that those that the forehead doesn't work and maybe a couple of facial parts don't but as soon as you realize as soon as you understand the parts that aren't working, you focus on all the other ones. That makes sense. So you could look for the swallowing and maybe the blink or the, uh, you know, the, the frowning or facial expression down below. That would make sense. Uh, I've got a question. You pro you've probably been asked this question before many times. Which is more accurate, an interrogation from you, a body language expert, or the old-fashioned lie detector test? Well, a lie detector test, I can give me about 30 minutes and I'll have you pass any lie detector you want to pass. We can get you, I, I can oh. show you how to do that. It's not a problem at all. They're mostly, those are um, the person giving the test. Most 90% of it is. And the other stuff is just for show. So if you ever go in somewhere and you get in trouble for something and they say, would you be able to take a lie detector test? You say, only if I can have the person that you have that's been doing it the longest. I want the oldest person that's been doing this longer than anybody else you've ever met doing this. I want that person because they're going to have a, a, a much better 
um, they'll, they'll be much better at showing that you're, you're telling the truth. They'll be able to see that much better and ask the questions. You'll be able to answer them. So there you'll be believed, you know, so you'll be, if, if you're being honest, they're going to be able to tell, you know. Oh, that's awesome. I, I know lie detectors test, they say they aren't admissible in court, but what about having a, a non-biased behavior expert like yourself as jury member number 13 in the Amber versus Johnny Depp? Wouldn't that help? It's like you, they, they, one side saying one thing, one side saying the other. Somebody's lying. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've been um, summoned to go to court four times, and each time they say, what do you do for a living? And I tell them, they go, Bye. That's one of the first words out of their mouth after that. I'm, I'm usually the first person to let go. So it's the, the thing about body language is it, it's a lot of times people think, oh, there's these absolutes. And that means every time that's when you have these quote unquote experts come in. Anybody can become a, a body language expert by Google and stuff. And that's why you see the most. And that's why we have a bunch of myths that are, you know, that, that are out there about body language that just really mess things up. For example, the uh, there's something called the 73855 rule of communication, and that was developed by a professor at uh, where was I think it was Berkeley. His tests that were have nothing to do with that uh, 73855 rule of communication, because um, I, I called him up. This was back in the 80s when I first heard it, and it said that 7% of communication is the words we use, 38% is the um, tone of voice we use, and the other percentage is um, it's all body language. So we, we know that's, that's not true. I, so I called him up and said, Hey, listen, what about this rule that I'm hearing that you, you've got Albert Moravian or Moravian was his name. And he said, listen, I don't know where you heard that, but this, everybody's talking about this thing that I've come up with. And it's not true. I had nothing to do with that. Somebody got two different studies I did and put them together and came up with the 73855 rule. So that's not me. And to this day, you hear the quote unquote experts telling everyone that 7% of body language is the words you use and 55% is the uh, body language and the 38% is the tone of voice. And it's really, it would be the opposite of that. I would say 75% of it is the words you use and 25 is everything else. Wow. Yeah. So, Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So the Google expert will tell you that and they usually start off with that. That's how you know. Yeah, the Google Google Meisters, I call them the Google Meisters. I see that yeah. in my practice. Everybody comes in, they're self-diagnosed because they Googled it. I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Doctor Google can be wrong. Yeah, you can't always throw it. <laughs> Google Google's not definitive. Let me ask you. I'm curious with your ability to read people. Are some of your friends and family members kind of nervous to be around you because you're able to read them and see right through them? What do you think my wife would be? But she's a she's a private investigator, and she's about as into this as I am. <laughs> my family really doesn't care. You know, like my mom and dad, sister and brother, those, those people are, they don't care. You know, it's me. And, the, you know, it's, and after a while, it's really tough to, when someone you're around all the time, that's the easiest person that can lie to you because you're not, you know, everybody goes, is that, can you turn it off? And yeah, you can turn it off when you're at home, but you're, you know, why would you suspect these people who you love and who you are under the impression love you to lie to you? Why would you, you know, so it's no, nah, it's you. There's usually nothing in there. 
Except if you have a kid that says, oh, no, I didn't eat that cookie. Like, yeah, why why, why are you swallowing and blinking like a helicopter? Exactly, exactly. That's true. Now, in your your book, you share how you and Greg Hartley, the former U.S. Army interrogator, you enjoy hanging out at restaurants and analyzing people. I'm curious, if you were observing a couple on their first date, what would be some telltale signs that maybe one of them's not into the other? Um, That they're not into them? They would be... Um, I'd like to where their feet are pointing. If their feet are pointing at the other person or their feet are touching each other's feet, they're, they're touching. These people have been together forever and they, they're in love and they're used to being around each other. Quite often you'll see situations where one guy will be reading um, a magazine or he'll be looking at his phone or she will. And they won't say anything the whole time they're eating. However, if you look under the table, their feet will be touching because they're, they've been together for so long they don't need to talk at that point or don't want to. There's, you know, they're just out eating. But people who are, who are on a first date, quite often you'll see the purse still on the, the table if the woman has a purse. And you'll see it maybe, in, you'll see a, uh, something in front of her probably. She'll be sitting up really, really straight and won't be leaned forward toward him. Uh, and the same for him, he may not be leaned to, uh, forward toward her. There's all kinds of little things you can look for to let you know that person isn't into you. How long they talk, how loud they talk. Of course, what they talk about, but that has nothing to do with body language really. So it's it's all it's all those little things, and you just watch for a while, and you put together that group of cues that you see that let you know that person is comfortable or uncomfortable around this person, or they want to leave. For example, if they want to leave, their feet are most likely pointing toward the door or away from that person. So those are a few things that we we start looking for. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. As I mentioned uh, before we started, I never miss an episode of the Behavior Panel YouTube show where you and three other experts join forces in analyzing people. You know, what's interesting is you, four leading experts on this panel, you'd think there would be a clash of egos, but you all seem to have a genuine respect for each other. Do you really get along or are you just using your body language skills to fool us? I can't stand one of those guys. <laughs> Every time we're together. We, we've only been in the room uh, together. I'm with Greg a lot. We're quite often. But with the other, all four of us together, the first time we got in the room together is when we went out to this last trip to Los Angeles to see, to be on Dr. Phil, then everybody came out. Usually it's been, up to this point, it's been me uh, for a while. It was Greg and I, and then uh, finally um, all four of us. So we had a couple of episodes where we all four together. And we, we, we you, there aren't a whole lot of real experts in body language you see a lot of quote-unquote experts the google experts we so there aren't a lot of us that are that we would consider real that you can talk to that know the studies that know the background that know all the people who are important that led the studies up to where we are now who know the differences in the myths and the stuff that doesn't that don't stuff the things that don't mean anything so we like hanging out with each other we and it started during covid like a lot of things did because we were bored and one day we, you know, nobody talked to. So Greg and I talked and we said, let's get us all four together and, you know, Greg, uh, Mark and Chase and we'll, let's do a video and see what happens. So we ended up doing the Tiger King back when that hit right. and it just blew up. After that. Oh, that's great. So we really, we really like each other. We really like talking and, we, and yeah, I feel like I learned something every show. I think we all have that feeling during every show. We learn something because we all come from different perspectives you know, of it. Mine's more from the everyday guy and the, um, and medical, the medical world and crime. 
whereas Greg's is more from the military. His interrogator, and I'm an interrogator, and Greg's an interrogator. Uh, Chase has been an interrogator before, and Mark isn't. Mark's just he's he's um, the, an expert, but he's not into any of the, into the crime stuff. So it's always interesting to see his take on things to get his input. Yeah. And so, so it's Chase such a nice was, mix. Yeah. Oh yeah. Chase was in the Navy. Greg was in the army. So we have those two uh, differences there. And those are like red ants and black ants. They don't get along at all usually. So, you know, the army right. and the Navy. So, but they, you know, we all get along famously, you know, we have a yeah. blast together. So you can, you can see, you can really see that. And it's like you, uh, I think one time you had to leave the, the scene and then you came back and you miss, you go, Oh man, I missed you. Like you, 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 you really, you, you learn, you, you want to hear what these folks have to say. I love that. Let me ask you this. The, the, the panels become really a YouTube search engine for truth seekers when it comes to all these celebrity interviews, depositions, trials, or interrogations. I'm curious, looking back, who do you consider to be the most fascinating liar? Um, probably, uh, Richard Kuklinski, because he's the guy that's the ser- serial killer. You know, he worked for the mob and killed a bunch of people. That's what you're presented with. But when you watch him, you realize he didn't do all those things. And I didn't realize that when we got into it. You know, you hear him say, here's this guy's killed all these people. Let's talk about him. Okay. And as we were going through it, we were all like, hang on a minute. This doesn't look right to me. And I called Greg and I said, hey, man. I'm not sure about this guy. He said, I feel the same way. He was getting ready to call me. And we, we all four usually talk two or three times during the week or te- we text almost every day, but we usually talk. And that day we all talked, you know, each of us were calling the other ones going, Hey man, this doesn't look right. So we all sort of came to the con- conclusion that he was being, he was honest about a lot of things, but a lot of things he wasn't, he was making up about what he had done. He was trying to be the famous serial killer, you know, work for the mob. I'm not even sure he worked for the mob, you know. Really? Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So That's he's, great, he's my favorite in there. He's your he's your favorite liar. Hey, you and Greg offer this body language tactic course, which trains people how to spot a liar. Are you ever concerned that these techniques could also teach people how to become better liars, like that used car salesman that joins your course so he can tell people with confidence that that car was owned by a little old lady that kept it in the garage? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, here's the way here's the way I see that when when someone who's an interrogator commits a crime, kills somebody with a sprinkler, you know, or something, or you beats them to death in the front yard, and you have to go talk to that person, you'd think they'd know how to get out of it or how to, to, to defend themselves using specific body things. But you can't keep that up. You can't keep, you, you, can, you can keep it up for a while and fake everything if you learn how to do it. But after a while, it fades. You can't keep your mind on what's happening because you're thinking about answers. You're thinking about questions. What's my next move? How should I say this? How should I say that? When they ask me, there's just too much going on. And there, once you start seeing that delay in the expressions, because you go, oh, I need to look sad, and they do that, there's a tiny little, little delay. You can't see it right the first, but after a while, if you've baselined them well enough, you'll be able to spot those things. So it's, it's really not a good – I wouldn't suggest anybody outside of acting – uh, use that to try to get away with anything because you can spot it fairly quickly because right. usually people overdo, they'll overdo it. So that's what makes it look weird. Yeah, you talk a lot about the fake smile versus genuine smile. I thought that was interesting. And that can take place in the healthcare industry, on the job, when dating, even as a public speaker. How do you recognize if somebody's faking a smile? It comes on too quick. When you walk into the Apple store and the person looks at you and they just look down their iPad and they look up and bang, they smile real quick. 
you know, that's probably not real, but you can also see in the corners of their eyes. It's not really, you know, the wrinkles in the side of their eyes. It's the way the little crow's feet or the little wrinkles up there look. You can see them coming in almost at an angle, almost if you were to make the a little, you know, with your hand, like you would make it look like a sock puppet, you know, how you talk, right. but make it almost come yeah. in in a V and then close it. That's the way the real smile looks because your brain is actually pulling that off. It's, it's instead of you pushing stuff up, it's pulling those things together instead of pushing them together. So they come together in a different way. So what you want to look for is, is a specific difference in a squint and the, the smile squint, I guess you'd call it. There's a difference there. And the, the smile will last in their eyes will last longer if it's real than the fake smile. So those are, that's really the, the main thing I look for in that is, is, is that. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I'm smiling when you tell me this, and it's, it's legitimate. I feel like going to someone with a fake smile and tickle them and go, oh, there you go. Now that's real. There you go. <laughs> Don't give me that fake one before I tickled you. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Hey, yeah. Hey, talk to us about your, your latest project, the Patient Engagement Loop and how body language can benefit the healthcare profession. Okay. Well, I came up with the, with the Patient Engagement Loop when I, I went to, to the doctor and found out I had thyroid cancer. And they took my thyroid out. And after that, I'd go, I went back to my uh, a different endocrinologist than I go to now. And when I went and saw him, I'd, I'd been there six months before, and things were I had the best time, liked all the people there, and we were getting along great. And then when I went back after I had my thyroid out, went back six months later to make sure everything's cool. It was a different. I didn't know where I was. I walked in, and the the person behind the receptionist just said, "Sign at the kiosk." Didn't even look at me, and I was like. Uh, what this iPad and she, yeah, and so I go over to the little kiosk and and put in my card and all my information. And as I was standing there, there was a little old woman sitting there, and she was about to cry. And I said, "Are you okay?" She said, "I don't know how to fill this out." I said, "Well, I'll help you with it." Now, now I know all about her health stuff because she had to tell me everything for me to help her get through the the iPad situation there because she didn't know how to use one. So from that point, I went and sat down and waited and usually the girl that would come out her name was amanda and she'd come out and say scott and i go oh yes she goes come on back that's the way it usually was this time this you know step one in the in the patient engagement loop is when you first engage the staff and the staff engages you when you first walk in the second situation i'm talking about the second part of the loop is your engagement with the nurse the physician's assistant nurse practitioner they'll come out and go hey you know come back here let's let's go see the doctor this woman comes out and she holds the door open. She goes, Mr. Rouse. And I was like, ah, God. So at this point, I'm pretty mad because the other, I was mad about the whole iPad thing. So I just sat there and she kept looking at the paper. She didn't look up. She said, Mr. Rouse. And I said, are you looking for Scott? And she said, yes. I said, okay, that's me. And she said, and she just waved me in with her foot on the door. So I go back there. And usually when I'm going down the hallway with Amanda, she'd say, so how are you doing? I said, I don't know. I look any fatter. I can't wait to weigh. She said, no, you don't look any fat. So we'd weigh, you know, I'd say, am I getting any fatter? She said, no, you've gained two pounds. I'd be like, oh, dang it. So I get down, I'm trying to make small talk with this um, person taking me down the hall. And I said, so uh, uh, we're going to weigh. And I know what it says. I guess it'll see if I gain any weight. She said, yeah. And I sit on there and she's looking at my chart and said, well, am I any fatter? And she goes, no, you lost a pound. I said, no, okay. And she goes, uh, going through, she, and then she pointed at the door and she said, go into room three. He'll be there in a minute. Didn't even go over there. Just pointed at the door and didn't look at me and turned around and walked off. So I go in and 
And I sit down in there and you know, the door shuts. Five, 10 minutes later, usually my guy comes in. I'm going to go, hey, man, you got a problem here because all these things happen. Part three of the loop is when you engage with a doctor or the doctor engages with you. So I'm sitting there, door kicks open, and in comes this guy. I don't know. He said, so what's going on? And I said, uh, why don't you tell me? Why don't you tell me what's going on? I don't know who you are. Where's my, you know, where's, I'm going to say his name. Where's Dr. Soans, though? He said, oh, he's going to be gone this week, but he'll be back next week. What's going on? I said, well, what's going on is I'm leaving, and I'm going to come back when he comes back. I said, you got a problem here, man. And he said, I don't remember what he said. I was so mad. So yeah. I left, and I went past the place the fourth uh, time you engage in the loop, which is with the um, staff again when you're paying to get out. So I just waltzed right past that and left. And I got almost told him my phone rang. And it was my doctor. And he said, what's going on? I said, hey, man, you've got a real problem over there. I said, you guys been sued yet? And he said, what are you talking about? And I said, somebody's going to sue you. You're not talking to your people aren't talking to anybody. The people that work for you aren't engaging with anybody. The guy that came in to talk to me didn't even ask me what my name was. Asked me how I was doing. Nothing. Just said, so what's going on? That was it. I said, you've got a real problem over there. So he said, let's eat. Let's, let's go out and have lunch and talk about that. So we went out and had lunch and talked about it. And I said, here's how you fix this. I said, when they first come in, what you got to do is, there are several body language things that go along with this. I know we're in a, a time situation here. so I'm Yeah, we, don't, we got about a minute left. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there are four parts to it. And it's that the first time you engage, the, the patient comes in and the receptionist uh, talks to them. You got to fix the body language there. Then from the PA or the nurse that takes them back to the doctor's, uh, back to the waiting room, you've got to have a uh, um, body language in there to connect with them. If you don't do these things, these people aren't getting that empathetic feeling from the doctor. That's when they get sued, when there's no empathy shown by the doctor or the people there. Those are the people that sue the doctors the most. So that's why everything's skyrocketing when it comes to yeah, um, malpractice. True. So, so true. I should so true. Sorry. No, that's a that's a great time. I'm glad somebody. I mean, that's a rarity to teach this and show people that patients aren't just a number. You've got to engage with them and treat them like friends, family. You know, that's what my patients. Yeah. I mean, I get patients that move out of the state and they come see me. They say I don't trust anyone else. That's the bond you want. You want that trust, but it comes with friendship. It comes with making them smile. It tr- it comes with with really caring about them and sincerity. They can feel that. So I commend you for that. And thanks. So much for joining us today you know this is such a fascinating topic I, I could literally chat with you for hours and i hope you'll come back and join us again soon well i'd love to just let me know and i'll be here oh it's great if you'd like to learn more on how to perfect the skills of reading people's body language scott and behavior expert greg hartley have created a course called body language tactics it contains secrets that they teach police lawyers doctors fortune 500 ceos and elite forces of the military to learn more go to bodylanguagetactics.com and they'll teach you simple tools to spot lies create trust and know what others are thinking before they even say a word bodylanguagetactics.com and you can get a copy of Scott's book, Understanding Body Language, at Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. And you can follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter at ScottRouse3. And on YouTube, of course, you can find the behavioral panel. I love it. Never miss an episode. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Dr. David Friedman. On Instagram, I'm at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard Scott share something today that would benefit somebody you know, send them a link to this podcast, available to yourgoodhealthradio.com and RadioMD.com. 
Tom. Check out our podcast library. Share these segments with friends, family, coworkers, and on social media. Sharing is caring. You can subscribe to future podcasts on iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.